Marvin Goldfried is a distinguished professor of psychology at Stony Brook University, where he helped develop the graduate program in clinical psychology. He's the co-founder of the Society for the Exploration of Psychotherapy Integration. Alan Francis is a professor of psychiatry and chair emeritus at Duke and was chair of the DSM-4 task force. Marvin describes the evolution of his psychotherapy orientation as psychodynamic, behavioral, CBT, and eventually integrative. He practices, teaches, and supervises what works clinically using direct and indirect evidence base. Alan describes his approach to psychotherapy as whatever works or no one size fits all. He was trained and taught at the Columbia University Psychoanalytic Center, but remains equally interested in brief, supportive, cognitive, behavioral, interpersonal, and family therapies. Please enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Talking Therapy. Uh, this is Marvin Goldfried uh, on the East Coast, and my esteemed colleague on the West Coast is... Alan Francis. Right. So, um, let's see, the topic for today, or the title even for today, is Balancing Intuition with Evidence-Based Therapy. I kind of like that title. Well, you should. You made it up. I know, but my, you didn't like my original title. The original, you my original title? It was too jazzy. It's, well, okay. But it's like doing therapy without thinking. <laughs> you didn't like that one, but we're going we're gonna to get... what Intuition is thinking. Ah, it's intuition thinking. That's well, How do you define intuition? Oops. Why do you have to do that to me, Marvin? Um, defining terms is always difficult. Most of the terms in psychiatry and psychology don't have good definitions. Intuition, I would guess I would define, never done this before, but it, it has to do with a kind of instantaneous awareness of something without having to go through the usual rational thought processes, without having a theory about it, without having a logical kind of uh, chain of, of, of thoughts, but rather jumping quickly and intuitively and, and empathically and emotionally and intellectually to an answer that you'd have a lot of trouble explaining if yeah. you had to put it into words. So what would a, an example be, particularly, very specifically, of the therapist using intuition? Well, I think that in my work and in my supervision, I've thought a lot about this since you introduced the topic. And I, I'm going to say later that you're a much better supervisor than I am. You're going to, my conclusion in this is that you're a much better supervisor than I am. Because what I've always done in my work in therapy and what I've tried to do with the people I'm supervising is to get them to follow the patient really closely and to try to get an understanding of what it is the patient is feeling, expressing, and how it fits into the pattern of their life. And I haven't done it with the same kind of rigor that you use. You have theories and names for things. Oh, okay. Let me, tell you, let, me, let me tell you an experience that I've had, which I'm sure you've had, and I suspect a lot of other therapists um, have had. And I think intuition may be in there somewhere. But, you know, we'll see if we could pull it out somehow. There have been times where what, something was going on in my life, which was very, very trying, very stressful. And I didn't, you know, I was having a difficult time. And I had to then do therapy. 
And I, my thought was, how the hell am I going to do therapy? And what I found is not only was I able to do therapy, but I did good therapy, and it just seemed more spontaneous for some reason. I, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I would say that almost all the therapy and supervision I've done has been spontaneous. Uh-huh. That I don't give a lot of conscious thought, and I don't understand what I do and when it works, how it works, because almost everything I've done came to me in a flash without me knowing why I was doing it. Well, then where's the role of evidence-based treatment? And I, I'm not saying empirically supported treatment, you know, where you use a manual and stuff like that. I'm talking about uh, an experience a therapist who's able to make use of all sorts of evidence, um, has a sense of the patient, has experience, and pulls on all of this. Pulls on all the techniques that have been developed. And not only the techniques, but, but also knowledge about human behavior, knowledge about emotion, knowledge about thinking, about behavior. I mean, these well, are essential. Yeah, I actually thought about this during the week. And it seems to me, let's take the extreme cases. So the very best therapists would be, and, and I'd label you in this. I'm not sure I'm, I deserve it, but you do. The very best therapist would be a combination of really acute, sensitive, empathic intuition with a full range of techniques and understanding how those techniques apply to the given patient and the given situation. The best therapist combines the best of both. The much less good therapist, would I want a therapist who's just intuition? Probably not. I want a therapist who has intuition plus the, all the technical skills and the theoretical understanding. Would I want a therapist who just has technical skills and book learning and stuff without intuition? I wouldn't want that guy at all. I wouldn't want a robot who does. So I think the best therapist combined both. I think to the degree that people can bring both to the situation, they become better therapists. And it's a lot easier to teach technique than it is to teach intuition, although right. in, intuition can be improved. Right. And then the question is, how do you teach intuition? Can you teach intuition? Or does it, does it evolve over time? What, what I tell people early in supervision is that they've been doing therapy their whole lives. That the intuition that they've gained before coming into formal training is a tremendous foundation for learning the rest of what I can teach them, but yeah. that they shouldn't lose what they have naturally. And in learning technique, you can sometimes inhibit intuition. Yeah. One of my concerns is that the research-oriented people that may be watching or listening are going to get turned off by this notion of, of intuition. Um, I, I once asked graduate students, what do you think of a person doesn't collect data, but sits in his office in a comfortable chair and thinks and thinks about what may be a phenomenon and how it works. And is that science? And of course, the responses were, no, it's ridiculous, it's blah, 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 blah. And it was like, well, that's what Einstein did. And <laughs> some people consider him a scientist. So intuition, I'm afraid, is a buzz, maybe a buzzword for researchers. Well, I, I think it goes to a basic difference in the way we see therapy, that you see it more as an applied science. 
and I see it more as an art and a craft. But no, I see it as a craft. And, and your statement about the combination of knowledge, of, of evidence of all sorts, plus experience, plus intuition, plus whatever else, I, I think that's what makes a good therapist. We don't disagree on that. But it's a question of, of defining it. And I mean, where, where you and I disagree is I have a, a, a foundation in um, behaviorism methodological behaviorism in the sense that if you say, if you use a term or a concept, it should be defined and you should be able to define it um, operationally if you can. Intuition is a, is a tough one. So l- let me give you some, give you an example. Uh, there's an organization called Society for Psychotherapy Research. I don't, I don't know. Are you a member of that? Or, or no? No, no. Anyway. Um, I've, been I've been at a couple of the meetings, though, over the years. Yeah. And these are researchers. Um, you know, they collect data. They publish in peer-reviewed uh, journals and, and things like that. And one year we had a conference, a panel. And the panel's title was, Is It Possible to Do Therapy Without Thinking? So... The long and short of it was all of this, these researchers kind of agreed. And they said, yes, of course it is. Now, the question is, why? Um, is this a way to train a student? You can say, you put them in the room with the patient and you say, okay, don't think, just use your intuition. I'm sure you would not agree with that. Of course not. Right. But, but on the other hand, I would say definitely don't lose your intuition because you're thinking too hard. Right. But then they would say, what is intuition? I've never done therapy before. And I'd say intuition has been built into you by evolution for the last 300,000 yeah. years. And it's that kind of thinking, that kind of unconscious. So we're, we're talking about unconscious versus conscious thinking in a way. That kind of unconscious ability to intuit what another person feels started from birth, the first moment your mother grabbed you and looked you in the eye, you began developing intuition. And I, I think it may go to another slight difference. I don't see therapy as being radically different than other human relationships. I totally disagree with you. I totally disagree. And the reason I disagree is I've seen instances where thera- beginning therapists or therapists that are really dedicated to a certain orientation, like psychodynamic orientation or, or, you know, drive theory, Freudian orientation, have used theory, not evolutionary experience, to feed their intuition. So I've seen people say, you know, I, I do what feels right for me. Yeah. It's like, wow, I don't want to go to you if you do just what feels right. <laughs> I, th- I want you to do what feels good for me, not right for you. Yeah, it's really dangerous. What I'm saying is really dangerous if someone has bad intuition and trusts it. Right. And I've seen this happen. I've seen this with a beginning therapist who was very Freudian, um, commenting on a patient who uh, had been traumatized by something was very close to her mother and was afraid that her mother might die as, you know, as part of her fear of anything could happen at any time and bad things can happen. So this case was being presented to the student and she said, I think she's very angry at her mother. 
And I said, you know, how do you know? He said, like, intuitively, I feel that. Now, that's dangerous stuff. Her intuition was based on, you know, it's got to be sex or draw or, or, uh, or anger. No, I see it differently. I think I, I wouldn't call that intuition. I would call that someone who's been contaminated by bad theory. That yeah. everything has to fit into this narrow Procrustean bed. That I would be blaming the theory more and the fact that per- let's take the two of cases, which we discussed before. You're yeah. going to have some people who are really terrible in their intuitions, but believe in them. And that's the danger of my approach that someone said, well, I, I intuited it. And we have no check on that. On the other hand, you have the people who are robots following theory. I think you're presenting a mixed case where the person's been contaminated by yes. theory. Yes. And, and that, that theory, to me, would be inhibiting what might be a good intuition. But to me, if you, if you have someone who has bad intuitions, they shouldn't be doing therapy. But, it's, but it is intuition. And you're, you defined intuition as evolutionary and blah, 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 and all those other things. But you, ha- you haven't defined it as bias. Oh, it's certainly bias. You're absolutely right. And it, 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 or it's easily subject to bias if it's not hitting what the patient's at. Right. So the people who aren't listening to the patient, but listening to their theory, which is, to me, one of the worst problems in trainees. Okay. But- I, ha- I have my definition of intuition. Um, you, do you watch tennis? I used to play it, and I watch it some. You watch it? Okay. So here's, here's my definition of intuition. World-class tennis player rushes to the net. How does she or he know that it's a good time to go to the net? There's no time to think because, right. you know, these are fast matches. So this person finds him or herself at the net. That's intuition. I can't do that. I don't know if you ever were able to do that. Find yourself at the net through intuition. I think I used to do it some, but that's a great analogy, a great metaphor. And I think the, the Freud described this as you know, primary process versus secondary process. Kahneman and Tversky defined it as fast thinking versus slow thinking. And I guess what I'm saying is that Freud, I think Tversky and Kahneman really borrowed Freud, that the basic way we interact with people is very much inborn, built in, and then modified by experiences early in life, and then continually modified through life. And that people who are going to be good therapists have been really good. They've been trained for 25 years before they get to us. Ah, Okay. All right. So there it is, the training. The tennis player who can do that starts playing what? 12, 13, even younger. Yeah, six, seven. Six, seven. It's like they, they really, really know the basics. They know the strokes. They know the different types of strategies. They know everything else. And then like a, a Zen person, they forget it. They don't forget it. They don't think it. Exactly. So that's doing therapy without thinking. Exactly. Or intuition. Whatever, you know, whatever we call it. We're not going to quibble over words. Um, yeah, exactly. We agree. And, and I guess to go one step further, that's why to me, the most important thing in making a good therapist is the selection factor of who gets into the program. And uh, I, when I was always, when I was at uh, Cornell, when I was at Duke, I was very intent on residency selection. And I, I always fought for those people who, who had good intuitions 
rather than those people who had PhDs in, in some other field or had written 30 papers. That I was very interested because I was most interested in producing good therapists in the program. I was very interested in picking people who I thought, because of how they acted, how they experienced the interview, how they lived their lives, had that mm-hmm. intuition, had that intuition built in. And I saw training as refining it. So it's, how did how do you know that they, you know that they're good that they have this? Tough. Again, you're much better. So I think you're better at this than I am. I'm not saying my way is the right I'm not, way. I'm not, I'm not necessarily better, but I ask questions that you don't ask. Like how what? do you how do you define things? You know, how do you see? Tell me, tell me how I can see it if I'm selecting a student. Tell yeah. me what the process is. You say I like the mechanisms. And again, that's also intuitive. It's getting to know whether they in the interaction in the interviews and in what I hear about their lives, whether they're really good with people. Make make make, make my definition. Are you good with people? Now you'd say that's not a real definition. We have to get into the subtypes. Yeah. In what ways are they good with people? But I, I would have that broad intuitive thing. Is this someone who's really good with people? I'm not defending that. Yeah, yeah and they're good in the interview, which allows you, they, they're not going to say, I'm good with people. And you're going to say, oh, okay, you know, I believe they're good with people. You, it's somehow, it's the way they interact with you. And also in descriptions about how they interact with other people. With other people, okay. Yeah, yeah. It'd be a kind of history of your life experience. As an interactive, it's your your ability to draw on your life experience exactly to make to make use of it. Yeah, and 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 betraying an understanding of themselves, of other people, and how they interact with other people. Right. So that it it and again, the trouble with the way I do things and did things is that it's harder to define, and it's harder to teach. I think the great yeah. advantage of what you did, you combine that intuition. I think you, you and I have equal intuition, but you add something to that in that you have labels for things and definitions for things that can help people orient themselves. Yeah. When I'm, I think we do the same things, but I do it in commonplace English and you do it with a more theory-based approach. And I think that there's an advantage to having the theory-based approach. And if I could have gone back over my career, I would have been more like you. Well, I, I would say it's more probably more a process-oriented approach. You know, what are the mechanisms? You're, you're willing to say intuition, but then I want to know is like, how do you get to, how do you define it? How do you see it? How does it develop and all of these things? Exactly. And I guess, I guess, you know, we've spoken about um, stages of change in therapy, where the patient comes in, their life is not working, and they are, they, they're in a state of what we can call unconscious incompetence. And I know you don't like that term, but hopefully you'll like it a little better in this, in this context, okay? So bear with me, Alan. Um, they learn then what the, what the things are that they are thinking wrong, that they're doing wrong, their emotions, they learn about how other people uh, react to them. They learn about how they react to other people. So they learn this and then become consciously incompetent and then start to change if the therapy is successful by deliberately making changes and learning different ways of interacting, learning a new interpersonal script, which involves not just thoughts, but but also emotions and actions and um, and the more they do it, the more automatic it comes. 
and they become consciously, unconsciously, in, con, unconsciously competent. So we're talking about unconscious competence. And it can apply to a variety of skills, um, tennis or therapy or patient change. But we're talking about, you know, therapists. And to become a good therapist, you need to have the experience to allow you to be unconsciously competent. Yeah. I think like when you first learn tennis, yeah. go out and hit the ball. Yeah. Then you get a tennis teacher and he teaches you stuff and you're suddenly much worse. Yeah. Because in trying to do what he's teaching you topspin, you lose the natural swing that came naturally to you. You have to do something that doesn't come so naturally to you. Exactly. That in the long run will be very helpful, but in the short run makes you self-conscious and awkward and you can't get it. And you're, you're worse. If you keep working at it, then that becomes part of your unconscious competence, part of your Zen and it's easy and you're a better tennis player. Yeah. And one of the things I worry about with supervisees is that during that phase where they're thinking too hard, they may become worse as people. And yes. this where the patient's yes. at. Years ago, back in the 50s, Carl Rogers did research on the process of change. And if you remember, one of the things that seemed to work real well was genuineness. Right. And I think that somehow there's a correlation here. I don't want to get into genuineness with you know, how to define it at this time, but, but at least just to, to make that, that, that link. And one of the things I'd always say to people at the beginning of supervision is we're always a week behind. You're telling me about last week. If you listen to what I say in this session about last week and try to apply it next week, you're going to be a week behind the, the person, the patient. It's always better to take what I say in general way to maybe it'll influence you, maybe it won't, but be in the room with the patient. Don't, don't be a week behind. Don't be listening to my voice in your head. Yeah, yeah. Be listening to your patient's voice. You sound very much like an experiential therapist. <laughs> That's what I am. <laughs> but you put a label on it. Well, because there's organizations, you know, you probably don't pay dues to them. You pay dues to the psychoanalytic folks. But the, I don't pay dues to anyone. But I would worry about this experience. The problem with the way I do things and see things is it requires that you not be kooky, that you not be a person who has bad intuitions, and not be a person who's applying, you know, weird therapeutic concepts and say, yeah. well, yeah. this yeah. is my intuition. But yeah. My thing has fewer side rails to keep people on track. Uh -huh, uh -huh. I think the more, you, the more you emphasize the technical aspects that have names for things, the less likely you are to have screwballs going on saying, I do experiential therapy and running you know, weird yeah. experiential experiences that they think are wonderful, but may be really nutty. Yeah. So I'm grounded in technique, but I have much more simple words for it. And I emphasize it less, but that's because the people I've trained weren't one screwballs. Yeah. I was very careful to select people to train who wouldn't go out and do really weird things with their patients and say, oh, this is all experiential, man. Aren't we having a great time? You know what comes to mind as, as you're talking? A mutual colleague and friend. Now you're going through your Rolodex to figure out who, who I'm talking about, right? <laughs> Who does he mean? I'm sure you will agree. Marshall Linehan. Right. Right? We both have fun 
feelings toward her and have worked with her and, and all of that. And she said, you know, working with using dialectical behavior therapy, DBT, to work with borderline patients who are really rough to deal with, um, it's like playing jazz. You've got to know all the techniques, all the strokes, and that's in the background. And then you're spontaneous, you're genuine, you use your intuition. And it's a tricky kind of thing, and, it's a, and you're forever honing it. It's perfect. feedback. And it's really interesting. Like I, I, I had dinner with Marcia a number of times in her house. She, she liked to cook. And almost invariably, she would have a patient calling. So she had this arrangement with many patients where they could call for five-minute kind of refresher sessions, people who needed to have contact with her. The amazing thing about it, listening to this, was that the person on the other end of the phone was obviously in enormous distress, might be complaining about being suicidal, might be at their wits end. At the five-minute point, Marsh would stop the conversation, whatever was being said. So she was able in her therapy to put guardrails around what mm -hmm. allowable for the patient, allowable for her. And within those guardrails, she could be perfectly... The, the most real and genuine person you could possibly imagine, but real and genuine within there's nothing real and genuine about stopping at five minutes when someone's desperate. Right. Yep. But the therapy had rules. Yeah. Alan, I knew that. You know how I knew that? How? I listened to your audio tape on working with borderlines. And that was one of the examples I think that you gave on that tape. How do you remember all this stuff? Well, I remember the important things. Marvin, I, I don't remember doing that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I, how do I remember? I'll tell you how I remember. I, I teach this graduate class on therapy, and I present it to my students every year, the same kind of thing, that it's you can set your boundaries with caring. And um, here's a story of Alan Francis having dinner at Marshall Linehan's house. So I've told this story many, many times, but I was polite in, in letting you finish. <laughs> without saying, oh, I've heard that one. <laughs> Listen, you know what would be fun to do, uh, Alan? To, to talk about um, DBT. I, I think DBT is, is a wonderful thing, but I think me, people don't really fully understand what DBT is and how it's different from CBT. And I'd be interested in finding out, you know, how you think uh, it's different and we'd like to, to dialogue on that because I have some notions about how I think it's different. Well, I'll give you a preview about that. Okay. We'll do that for the next. Uh, okay. Next Sounds session. good. I edited with Marsha her two books, the, the theoretical book about DBT and also the, the problem oriented book. And Marsha was very difficult to work with because she was. She was what? Very difficult to work with because oh, she yeah. was so inclined to want each word to be exactly the way she wanted. I know. Uh, yeah. Very very long-winded and stuff, so, but, but we came to some agreement on most things. I did a terrible thing, though. I did a stupid thing. What? I recommended that she call the book Cognitive Behavior Therapy instead of Dialectic Behavior Therapy. That's how dumb I was at the time, thinking that it would make it too special in a way and too different from the mainstream, and also thinking that most of what was essential was CBT. I had less faith in these the uh, Zen, Zen component than she did. She was very interested in the Zen part of the therapy. Yeah, yeah. In that. But in any case, I think making it DBT was 
better. We shouldn't have called the book cognitive behavior. It should have been dialectic behavior therapy. And that it is a very different kind of, of, of therapy that adds meaning to the usual. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, my feeling is her contribution is probably the most significant one of the, in therapy of the 20th century. I really put it right up there. Okay. However, Define however, why. what's that? Define why. Define what? Why. In our next dialogue, we'll do that. Okay. I'll tell you why. And then I'll also add why I think it is in many ways CBT with a, with a brilliant twist. So when people say, oh, DBT is good, not only for borderlines, it's good for X, Y, and Z. And it's like, oh, give me a break. That's because it's CBT. But anyway. So you're seeing it both ways. And yes. yes. Very different, but also the same. Exactly. Okay. I guess that's a good preview. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, people will tune in. Okay. Marvin, oh, be well. You too, and stay safe.